this episode of Woman to Woman podcast series. Our guest today is Patricia Bradley. She's currently the US Chief Commercial Officer for Huma, a digital healthcare company transforming decentralized healthcare and research in the US through technology. Patricia has held senior leadership positions as VP of Sales and previously VP of Marketing at Novo Nordisk and has deep commercial experience in market access. She is recognized for building a successful clinical education business unit from the ground up with over 300 employees. Her team was recognized as best in class within the industry and her national recognition through NCQA for program design. She has deep commercial experience, having held multiple leadership roles in sales, marketing, and market access. With more than 25 years of diverse experience ranging from industrial engineering to startups, she received BS with a dual major in business economics and political science from the State University of New York and Punieta and completed her MBA at Wagner College in New York. She's happily married to her husband, Joe, for over 25 years and has a busy athletics at Ryan, 17 who's involved in several travel sports. Her hobbies include spinning, boating, fishing, and spending time with family at the beach. Hi, welcome, Patricia. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. So you've had many, many roles, um, very impactful, very fun roles. So let's start there. What was the most fun job you had? I have had so many crazy jobs, jobs that people don't even know I've had. So um, I'll give you a quick snapshot and then I'll, I'll focus a little bit on the one that the ones that have been the most fun. But when I first got out of college, I went to work on Wall Street, like many people do. I actually worked for Lehman Brothers, um, started there, realized really quickly that I didn't have enough connections to succeed at that time, at a point in time on Wall Street, left that, went to UPS, actually was an industrial engineering supervisor for UPS, did logistics, rebuilt or suggested flows through warehouses and things like that, even delivered the truck in Manhattan, which is always a little crazy, but yes, was a had to drive the truck. But from there went into pharma um, and actually started with big pharma in sales because really, quite frankly, it was just a very good paying job. And I was looking for something that would help me pay off my student loans. So I went into pharma having worked as a pharmacy tech summers at a local drugstore. I thought, oh, I knew a lot about drugs. I'll go in and sell drugs. Well, it's completely different. It's very relationship oriented, but that got me my start. Um, I actually did two startups prior to going to Nova Nordisk. And then I did a very long stint of just over 17 plus years at Nova Nordisk going through various roles. But if I think about before getting to where I am now, where I am the US chief commercial officer for a digital health company called Huma, that just went through our Series C and is in a rapid growth mode, expanding here into the US. But this job is really fun. I have to say it's pretty wild ride. Uh, I'm not in it long enough to compare it to some other roles. I loved my role at Nova Nordisk where I built up the diabetes education program and was leading, leading with a leader within marketing and really looking at new ways to go to market and trying to change the paradigm of healthcare for patients. Um, that, kind of hit all my buckets on feeling good about the work that I did, that it was truly helping people out there in need, and that my team was bringing something unique to the marketplace. Although now where I am, it's a pretty wild ride. Technology can really accelerate healthcare. And when I think about kind of combining the ability to scale up 
and to truly impact as many people as possible, I'm probably in a position now where I will get to do that. And so in, when it comes through, this will probably top that role. But for now, you know, they're, they're in a tie, I would say. <laughs> That's a good place to be. It is. Enjoy your work. But I think, you know, sometimes it's making, you know, turning your work into something you enjoy. Sometimes you can shape what that is. Growing up, did you always think about being in pharmaceutical? What was it that you were aspiring to be? Growing up, I never thought about pharmaceutical, never even heard of it, had never even met anybody that had been in healthcare or health technologies or research or anything. That's not the kind of upbringing I had. I come from uh, a pretty working class family. Nobody had gone to college. I am the only person in my family to have gone to college, to have graduated and gone to grad school and completed my MBA. Um, so my family is is you know, a little bit more related to trades and, and other things. Neither one of my parents, you know, uh, graduated from college with a four-year degree. My dad did a little bit of college, but never completed it. My mom, it wasn't even a thought. I don't think, you know, I came from probably a more traditional background where if I went to college, that was great, but they never even pushed. It was never even discussed. I, I think at the end of the day, I just wanted to kind of expand and get out of the geography I was in and see what the world was like a little bit and branch out on my own, probably wanted independence. Going to college was the best way to get it. And so I went away to college and loved every, every minute of that, had a really great college experience. And then within two weeks of graduating, came back and started working. No, nobody pushed me, but it's, I, I still think education and getting an education is a is a critical step that you have to do. It's not a nice to have anymore. It's a, a must have unless you are incredibly good at a trade or some unique skill set that can separate you from the, the mass population out there. So people graduating right now, what would you say to them? Is the degree you graduate with, is, is that all important or is that just a stepping stone? into getting where you need to be? From my experience, I would say it's a stepping stone. I think being a continuous learner, being somebody who wants to always learn new things and never being afraid to be uncomfortable in the learning process is critical. I have studied harder after college than I had ever studied in college, to be honest. Um, whether that had to be taking tests within pharmaceuticals, you have to take these crazy tests. And until you're in the industry and have done it for a number of years, learning how to study uh, all these scientific papers and all of this research that goes into bringing drugs to market and then getting tested on it uh, were harder tests than what I was doing in college often because they could be, I mean, you could study for days and you're taking a test blind and you don't know what area they're gonna focus. It's not like school where you, you, know, you get reviews and you get notes and things like that. You're not getting that kind of help often, especially early on when I started. So I think I, it was harder afterwards, um, but I think it is kind of the key to entry that you have to look to push yourself. That college really teaches you the skill set to be curious and to know where to find your information. And so it doesn't necessarily matter what type of degree you have. You just need to get something that you are going to enjoy, that you're going to finish in a timely manner. And then from there, you can pivot. I have met people who were scientists who went into sales. I have met, met people you know, who may have had a degree in marketing and wound up in clinical trials or, you know, people that were in science that went into marketing, you see it all. So I think it's really just what you're curious about after the fact, and then you continue to build on it. 
So you have always led high-performing teams. Your teams were always winning awards. <laughs> By the way, congratulations. We were like, oh my God, if you guys were in the run, you always got the awards. <laughs> and that's amazing. So again, being part of that team and leading that team is two very different things. So what do you think has been your leadership style and what has really helped you motivate these high-performing teams? Well, I, I don't think you come out of the box as a, as a perfect leader. I think it's kind of an evolution to that learning to get away from command and control, to get into a collaborative type of leadership role, a servient leadership role, helping people be their best. You, you kind of learn that as you go a little bit in it, as you really strive to be the best leader that you can be. Um, and I have always really tried to set up my teams where we look at insights all the way down at every level. I think anybody at any level can bring an innovative approach to how we do things or what we do or how we, we achieve success. And so I have always thought of, thought of it in a way like a skunk works where you are kind of building as you go. And I had labeled that in some of my teams. I do it now too. Um, but where you identify projects that you, you, could, you think will propel you forward for success that are a little bit of a stretch but you always save a few resources, whether that be people resources, time or money to support those so that you try and test out new things and let that, let that grow a little bit. It's like a garden, right? Fertilize it a little bit, see what you can get. Allow people to be creative, to be part of creating the success all the way from the very beginnings of a project. My role was to teach them, how do you present to the executive team? What are the key milestones you should have? How do you measure success? How do you then take that and make it grow and bundle it into something bigger than what you were originally thinking? And how do you bring others along in the, in the journey? Um, that was my role. So I was support really for them. And then it wasn't my job to present the ideas. It was, I, I was there to teach them so I always saw myself more as a teacher to teach them how they should do it and then let them be the ones to put themselves in front of the team. But I would be there as a crutch or to help them so they wouldn't feel alone in the process or unsupported um, and to cheer them on too when they do well. Once you create that kind of momentum, it feeds itself. So people continually get into this, what I call continuous improvement process. Instead of people competing against each other, it was more like, how can I help their competition came from trying to help the entity grow bigger and better. And so that's where the competition was. And that seemed to work. And I don't know, I wasn't consciously thinking of it. I was just trying to create an environment I wanted to work in where it would be fun and hopefully it would be fun for others. And then this way we would enjoy the ride because enjoying the ride is, is really important for engagement day to day for myself too. And I, I can tell you, looking from outside, it was so much fun just watching your teams work. We're like, oh, my God, that's a fun team. And I'm still friends with them all. I mean, that's the part. You build relationships that go the long distance. I mean, I've been gone a number of years from my previous role. I still stay in contact with so many people at all levels. Um, and I enjoy that. And people are like, oh, do you, you know, I'm not sure you want to talk to me. I'm like, of course I want to talk to you. I'd love to hear what you're thinking or your thoughts. Um, it's inspiration comes from everywhere. And I think people just need to find their voice and, and reach out and touch people. So it is fun. Yeah, we did have a lot of fun and we would laugh at ourselves. I can remember some really good times where something stupid happened, where one of my direct reports broke a big award on stage. And it probably turned out to be one of the funniest events where we were giving away a very broken 
beautiful glass award to the top performers in the country. But, you know, the, the funniness of humanity when you drop and break something. I mean, we all would find the joy in things versus, you know, getting upset about it. It was, it was a very funny moment. I was, I was laughing so hard. I was crying on stage. Who inspired you? I can't say I had a single person that was an inspiration. I think I met people along the way, often my peers who would inspire me to, to think differently or to push harder. Um, early on, I didn't have one person, a teacher or a mentor that I looked up to. So you don't have to have that. Um, you're lucky if you do, but I don't think everybody does. I'm not so sure that everybody has that one person that gives them the inspiration. I think you probably have many people that give you the inspiration. For me, it was having independence, having personal, professional, and financial independence to be able to stand on my own two feet. I think I was really inspired by people around me, peers, or people just kind of tangent people that were at certain different levels that I thought were really inspirational in different ways. And I would try to learn more about what they did or understand how they did what they did or the why behind the work that they were doing. I've kind of continued that. I get inspired by people who push me in ways that I'm incredibly uncomfortable. It just It's painful almost. When you're learning, it's going to be painful at times. And I love people who push me because whenever I'm feeling terribly uncomfortable, I know I'm growing. And so I've had many people, you know, some of them like Tina Chang has always pushed me and I consider her to have been a boss to me, but also my peer and a professional friend and somebody who pushes me out of my comfort zone still to this day. Camille Lee, who I worked with at Novo Nordisk uh, was, was a, a great inspiration at times and pushed me. Um, but Jessica Federer, who I work with now is a great inspiration. She's uh, a former chief digital officer for Bayer and she is the managing director for Humo where I am now. And I've never seen somebody connect the way she does. And she's quite an inspiration at many levels within digital health. And so I think they inspire you by what they do. Uh, but I also like it when they're really good people at heart too. Were there certain values that you carried along um, throughout your life that you still rely back on? I think it's, uh, a, uh, I believe in inclusive thing, you know, activity versus exclusive that probably stems all the way back to high school. You know, I used to hate when friends would say, oh, we're going here, but you can't come or something like that. I just, I don't, I don't like that in any way, shape or form. So I think you should always kind of look at your professional life like a business family that's constantly expanding and you should want to bring in, in as many people as possible and you should treat them like family. And what I mean by that is that it's not, just a brief relationship. It's something that you're gonna keep for the long haul. I te teased somebody once and I said, look, we're married and I don't believe in divorce. So we, can, we don't have to agree on everything, but we will always sit down at the table during holidays and have a meal together and be family and be close. And we will always have each other's back. Uh, and it's okay if we don't agree. That doesn't mean that we're not going to work together well and we're not going to have fun. In fact, it probably means the opposite. You're going to make me think about things differently and I hope I'm going to do the same for you and that's okay. But at the end of the day, we have this deep-rooted relationship that is is there to test, you know, to have roots and test time and be able to weather storms. So that is kind of how I, I've looked at it. 
And I think that that's really important in creating that family atmosphere. It doesn't mean you can connect with everybody, um, but you want to connect with the majority of, of people that you work with in a positive, you know, in a positive way. You brought up a great segue, family. <laughs> I was like, okay, we go to family then. You, you have a son and I'm sure, you know, when you were starting out in the career, you were trying to build your career, you also had to balance the family aspect of it. How did you do it and what really worked for you? Yeah, that is a very tough one. I will tell you, I remember back when my son was born and I was in a leadership role and it's hard. You got to drop, you know, this is before the pandemic. You have to drop them off at daycare. You have to be back to get them at daycare at a reasonable hour. I was commuting. Um, they would get sick often. You needed to have flexibility. I, I remember I have changed jobs when they didn't support what I was doing. Um, made sure I picked jobs that would be supportive. And that doesn't mean that you don't, you don't try to be flexible in what you're doing, but I've had bosses who, you know, would say, well, you have to stay. I'm like, I can't stay. I have to go get my son out of daycare. If, if I don't get him, there's nobody to get him. My husband worked in New York City, which was much further away from where we lived than I was. Um, and I remember having to stand my ground on it and it was very hard. And then it is easier. I think the higher you go often, or if you have a good boss to be, make sure that they're open. Um, but I used to block my time. I would always block the morning hours and give myself a cushion before somebody would put a meeting on the, on the calendar. And I would block that end of the day time too, so that it meant that they couldn't just take it unless I knew I could make arrangements that would accommodate it so that I was trying to work, start with the foundation of my family first and work around it with work versus work first and then family has to go around it. Um, it's very hard. And I do think you have to stand your ground, but I wouldn't kid you when I put stuff on my calendar, I was coding it so nobody knew what it was because I did not always find that people were as understanding as they needed to be. And so I just decided that I would never lie about what I was doing, but I didn't have to always give the whole kitchen sink story about, hey, I need to block this for the next five weeks or whatever. Um, but I would be honest when asked, but I, I would not necessarily be upfront in just saying pick up, drop off daycare in my calendars and things like that. I wouldn't highlight the family um, pull that I had or things that took up my time because I don't think everybody generally understood. But I think, I think nowadays people are much more open and it's a very different atmosphere and you can be much more open now. And it's important for companies and bosses and leaders to accommodate because we all have a life. So true. And I'm just thinking back to my days. It was very similar. Our daycare was open until seven. And that's the only reason my kids went to that daycare because there was no way I could pick them up by six every day. Wouldn't happen. But that's true. We, we make tough choices and we have to keep making them. Throughout your career, were there instances where, you know, you kind of had to face very typical perceptions that are related to women? And how did you deal with that? Uh, well, the very first one, when I first started working uh, on Wall Street, I had asked to take the Series 7 and the Series 63, which is kind of a passage to getting into the financial world, you know, to be able um, to work and grow. It's within, within the stock market that was a needed requirement. I remember they wouldn't let me take it. And yet this one gentleman who started after me 
you know, a couple months after me, they let him take the test. And so you kind of get to those moments in your life and you go, do I want to be here? And if they're going to hold me back already from just growing, is this the right place for me? So I, I made a job change, right? So sometimes you have to make those really hard choices. Is it the right environment for you? Sometimes you have to figure out a workaround or learn to think like others do. So you realize that there are different styles to working, right? There are clubs, like you could say the old boys club. Does it exist? Yes, it really does. What I learned there is there's often the meeting before the meeting where the guys meet and kind of collaborate and make a decision. And then you get into the room and you did not do the same thing. And you are left at a significant disadvantage because they've already kind of ganged up on you without you even knowing it. And they're not necessarily looking to gang up. They're just looking to move their own agendas forward. So they've figured out that art of the meeting before the meeting. And we as women need to start doing the same thing. And we did. And so I do remember, and you know many of these people, but we had a pact saying, hey, in these meetings, as long as there's no moral, ethical, there's no reason not to support each other, we are gonna support each other in this process and make sure that we are not at a disadvantage because our numbers were not to the same level. You know, you're, we were a smaller subgroup of the greater leadership team. And so uh, we did have that pack and had that discussion and we're all still friends today and we stay in communication even though we've now all gone on different paths uh, forward, but we were well aware of those things going on. And I think women, you need to survey the room. You need to keep an eye out for that and think about what went on before you got in that room. And do you need to get a seat at the table for the appetizer before dinner is served? That's a great simile. So women do make a few mistakes unknowingly, and we all learn over time, right? And looking back, I've made some of these mistakes but what were some of the typical mistakes that you have seen other women make that now looking back, you would say, let's not go there. And there's a better way of doing this. I have seen so many mistakes. Uh, one from how they speak, speed and tone of the way that they talk. Um, you get this weird, you know, weird tonality sometimes in their voice when they're speaking in public meetings that definitely is not natural, it's not comfortable, it's not conversational, it's just wrong. And they're trying to create a greater executive presence. And so I don't, I, I've talked to people saying, just be natural, you know, find a way to balance yourself, not get uncomfortable in front of others. So looking at speech, public speaking, I think is one of the most critical skills people have to learn to move their career forward because conveying an idea or a concept to a greater group whether it be direct reports, but the, the, as you, you move up the ladder, you're gonna be talking to more and more people who are reporting in. So that's where communication becomes critical. And I've seen people really accelerate their career because they're good public speakers, not because they're a subject matter expert or because they have so much knowledge in an area. You can be the smartest person in a room, but if you can't convey the message, somebody else is gonna come in and do that role and you will be supporting them. And so I think that's a, a mistake you see people make. So they re you really need to work on public speaking, getting comfortable in even situations like this. I have seen people feed great ideas to others, women, spe you know, specifically, they will do all the research, they'll do the background, but they will never speak up themselves. They will just feed that information into somebody else and let that person sound brilliant. 
but yet the idea really came from somebody else. So you have to speak up yourself and have your own voice and not be waiting for somebody to invite you to do that. I think you have to find an, a very eloquent way to step in and get your voice heard. And that's not easy and it doesn't come without fear. Um, so you just have to kind of put that aside and step in at some point and do it. So one of the things we also talked about in one of our discussions was the fact that a lot of times to your point, yeah, we do a lot of research, we are fact-based, but then women hesitate to speak up. So they give the idea to somebody else. But there are also instances where you actually take the plunge, you actually speak up, but then you're just not heard. And then five minutes later, somebody else comes up with very same idea and everybody's all over it. And you're like, well, what just happened? <laughs> Didn't I just say the exact same thing? Yeah, I think there is, a, there is, we have certain norms and the way we can be dismissed in the process. So that's where too, sometimes having that pack with others so that if that does happen, and I've had that happen in meetings where then those of us that have agreed to support each other say, you know what? Yes, we hear you, but didn't so-and-so just say that? So then it goes back to, you know, giving credit back to where the, where the idea might've originated um, and it will happen. And I think that's too where you get support. Peer support is very critical, you know, as you're trying to accelerate your career, you need friends at the table with you. Nobody can do this alone. And, and that's the one thing. Everybody tries to do it alone or thinks they're going to do it alone. But the truth is, is people move ahead in packs. They move together in clusters and groups and groups that help each other. It's not like you're just going to do this alone. And CEOs and others have learned this. I mean, how often do we look on LinkedIn and see that a CEO, you know, moves somewhere and takes the same team that he had at the previous place? People move together in packs. So you need to create your own pack and find those people that will support you in this process. And so there, I think there's articles about it too, about finding your pack or finding your posse or some version of that. And it's really true and something you really do need to do. And I think that can help you in some of those situations where, where you get stepped over. And what would be a best way to make that group? Like, especially for somebody who's just starting up, where do you find these like-minded people that will support each other? Sometimes you see women don't support each other as much as men do. And that's something we have to change. We have to support each other. We have to speak up for each other. As you correctly pointed out, you have to have that group. But how do you go about starting with that group? Well, one, I think it comes from having conversations, open conversations about how do we grow our career? How do we help each other? Usually you can start with people that are right around you in similar roles or supporting roles of what you do or peers. You know, you're on the same team, you're reporting into the same manager or the same director or, or group. So it could be somebody that's one step ahead of you or right next to you or one step below you. Um, and I think you should actively do it at all levels, really, if you're going to be effective at it. But you start having those conversations with each other early. And then as things happen, you talk about situations. Did you notice this happened? Well, how are we going to not have that happen again? Or how can we help each other when it does happen, or at least notice it when it goes on and interject in a way that will support each other. And you have to be aware and create this consciousness about it and then figure out the plan forward. Often in the beginning, it's reactive. Something will happen, you won't like it and you'll have to talk about it. But what you'll start to notice is going forward, 
you've created that awareness and you'll start to catch it in the moment and then you can change the dynamics. And, and that's something you find. Um, but it, you know, it goes to the bigger discussion of networking and things like that, that women don't do naturally. Um, there are many things we don't do naturally. We wait to network until it's necessary and then it's too late. We wait until we need a job. Um, and we don't practice reciprocity, which men do naturally. I help you, you help me. And they get really far doing that. And there is this loyalty within men that if, if you've helped me, I am going to go out of my way and help you. Um, and not only do they do that, they brag about each other. They're so open. They may not tell you what they make, right? Or things like that, but they are sure gonna tell you what their friend just got at their new job and how much they're making or how well their friend is doing. And, and they start to create that momentum of support around each other, but they also are sharing critical information, which we don't do. We don't share salaries. So we don't know when we're underpaid. We don't know even what to ask for unless we are willing to be vulnerable and open in sharing that information. So I think there's so many things that we have to get open about sharing salaries, bonuses, compensation plans, development plans. Even sometimes you may not want to tell somebody what you got as a review, but I think you have to share some of these things or components of it that will help each other. So we all think about things a little differently. And those are some changes we need to make. So reciprocity being kind of being reciprocal in relationships, sharing information, and networking are just a must. So on a lighter note, you play saxophone. So let's talk a little bit about your musical capabilities. <laughs> They're not as good as I would like them to be. They were, that's what I did as a child. I did, you know, go to uh, belong to the school band and started, started that. I, I do think in life, you should try lots of different things. Like my son, um, I, I bought him instruments, I bought him drums and real drums, not like toy drums, like real drums from Sam Ash in the city thinking, okay, you know, let's, the more you surround yourself with, you will naturally gravitate towards the things you love. And so I've always been a bit of a generalist, like you dabble in a lot of things and then hopefully you'll stick with the things that you truly love and find things that give you enjoyment. So I love music. I have a very musically inclined father who can pick up any instrument and play any instrument. It did not translate to me in the same way. I could get by, uh, but I don't think it was going to be my calling. So then, of course, I got into sports and, and, and other things. As I got older, I broke off and, and uh, got into sports and played lacrosse in college and some other you know, fun things. And, and do, you, do you feel a sense of pride that your son is carrying that on? He plays lacrosse, right? He does play lacrosse. Uh, he's going to play lacrosse in college at a very high competitive level. He'll play division one lacrosse. Um, I'm happy that he is going to play, do something else besides just go to school, that he'll be active in something, um, that he'll be part of a bigger group and that will help him to acclimate and, and create a, your own family. So it's, it's kind of like work, right? You create that kind of family that will connect you to the institution, to the group that you're in and you, you grow with them, but you have a support system. And that's what I like about sports is it gives us a support system. So when you play sports in college, you naturally have a group of people that will be diverse. Um, you all like the same sport, but you're coming from different backgrounds, from different locations. And so you, and it's outside of your home-based friends, right? The people who are geographically close to you. So 
I like that part of it because it just grows your network, um, but creates a support system. And I think it's the same thing for work and life. You need a support system. So that's what I think clubs, groups do for you. Yeah, no, all the best to him. And that's that's so true, though, that camaraderie that comes in sportsmen. You, you don't see that outside as much. No, and that's why you look for it in different places. You know, you can join a band or whatever it is. So in closing, any final comments for our listeners? I just think, you know, this is such a unique time. And, you know, I, I don't kid about looking at like a family and a relationship that you should have good trust, very open relationships and network like crazy. And that means finding places to connect with people, um, whether that be professional organizations or you volunteer, every industry has its group of expert panels and things that you can join and people that you can meet. And I think women specifically should do it sooner rather than later um, and try to connect as ma- to as many people as possible, but maintain those relationships. It could be as simple as just text messages on a regular basis. Um, it doesn't have to be that you sit down for lunch every three months. It could be just that you stay in contact and that it doesn't get so cold and so distant that, that it's not there to support you when you need it, that you can stay in touch. And there's just different ways. I belong to quite a few groups. Um, I have joined professional groups like GLG Institute where they had a health institute. It was all healthcare executives that you could get together on a regular basis. I, I belong to Pioneering Collective, which you know gets ex- people together. Um, HBA, I sat on the board for them, but there's this type of group in every industry. There is some type of group and look for those. And then I, I am now in the process of getting involved in a lot of tech groups out there, which there are a lot of, you know, computer engineers. They're not people like me. And half the time, I don't know what they're talking about, but that's okay. And it is uncomfortable. It's terribly uncomfortable when I don't know. I'm learning what Kubernetes are and all this stuff that I've never heard of before on kind of that tech and computer science side of things. And that's the fun of it too, is just learning something I don't know. And I will be better and a better rounded executive in the long run for doing so. So find whatever that is and join and meet people, but keep the connection, keep it warm. Thank you so much for your time and wishing you all the best for your role. Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you.